You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bob and Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is February 9th, 2023. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Bobbin, how have you been? What are you up to? I've, I've been okay. Like today, I'm not great. I'm just okay. <laughs> That's fair. You're allowed to be, you know, yeah. as humans, yeah. we all, we don't have to have great days every day. So I know. Speak. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can't, I can't do the great thing today. Uh, the, the, and it's nothing specific. I think the, the, we, we survived, uh, an Arctic chill wind this weekend. So I'm happy I was able to stay indoors. I was glad that I have a remote working job. I didn't have to get outside. Yeah. Uh, so I was glad for that. And then I'm glad that this weekend is the Super Bowl. But that's about it. Like just staying busy with work, I guess. Are, are you in any uh, Super Bowl squares? Do you have a team you're rooting for? Like what? What's yeah. your stance? Uh, so again, love both the teams. Uh, sure. But for some reason, uh, supporting the Eagles for the Super Bowl win. Like I was supporting the Chiefs in the conference finals and versus when they were playing the Bengals and all in on the Chiefs. But then yeah. now I was like, okay, no, I'm, I'm supporting the Eagles. So let's see how they do. Like I've been looking at like some sports shows, right? And they, they are like 76% of the money that has been like placed on bets has been put on the Eagles. So... You know, the Chiefs can always come back and do an upset, but I'm still like, yeah. I always like to see the upset. And yeah. I'd like to see Mahomes sort of rebuttal himself, so yeah. to speak. Uh, you know, that's that's just... Like, it's so crazy that Chiefs are considered underdogs going into the game. So, <laughs> you know, like, okay, maybe it's to be, fun. To be yeah. very frank, it will probably be the first football game I watched all year. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> um, I remember we, we spoke, yeah, we spoke a, lot, a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh, yeah, it's football season. Um, yeah. I guess life with a toddler and a busy you know, person, I guess, so. <laughs> I didn't even realize. So. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to that. My one of my neighbors uh, reached out and was like, "Hey, you want to put some, you know, money down for squares?" I'm not usually yeah. like gambling, whatever, but this is, seems friendly enough. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> so, you know, worst case, I lose a little bit of money. Best mm -hmm. case, uh, I make out on something I didn't pay attention to. All year <laughs> long, so. Nice, win. <laughs> sort of, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the Arctic Blast was uh, quite chilly. Did you see the Mount Washington news? Yeah, like minus 101, right? I didn't know that it was, was a, possible. It was, it was a, at its lowest, I believe it was minus 110 degrees. Okay. Which blew, blew the record out of the water since like the 60s, 70s. I'm probably okay. way off, but like yeah. 50 years ago or something like that. Um, and they matched the stagnant air, uh, which was negative 47. So without wind chill. Negative 47 okay. is what it was up there. And that's the all-time record. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the wind chill was 110. I couldn't even imagine. I know. <laughs> like, okay, do you just, like, die if you go outside? No, you know, I, people go up there. I mean, not, not at that extreme yeah, weather. Yeah. They hike in the winter. I had a yeah. friend who was going up the end of February, and I was like, are you still going? <laughs> He's like, it's that cold. I was like, yeah, you better not. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but power that's to fine. those people. That's what I, I say. Know. You yeah. won't find me hiking in the middle of winter up Mount Washington. Yep, that's why I don't have any fun <laughs> stories too, right? Like my all of my hiking is from spring to fall and then winter is when I hibernate. <laughs> <laughs> you hibernate, I like that. <laughs> nice. Cool. All right, yeah. so... Um, we do have an awesome guest today, mm -hmm. uh, Nigel Poulton. He's uh, one of the uh, he's an author and video trainer for containers, Kubernetes, WebAssembly, and cloud native. We're going to be talking about WebAssembly with him today, yeah. um, and we'll dive into all that in just a bit. But we're going to. 
go through a bit of news, um, which we have a decent amount of news here. Why don't you kick us off? Bobby? Yeah, sure. So uh, I think the uh, I have a few things. Let's start with the analyst report that came out. I know we have discussed like the GigaOM radar a few times uh, over the past couple of years as well. They yep. just came out with their Kubernetes data protection radar. Uh, I don't think there are any crazy surprises. <laughs> like, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you've been following that. that yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you have been following it, uh, yes. Uh, no crazy surprises. They're all the same vendors, kind of in the same positions. It's really difficult to see movement when it's a, a concentric circle with arrows coming out of dots like you don't really know where the dots are are we considering arrows or dots so i don't yeah. know <laughs> yeah i'm probably on purpose too yeah. right and, and if you don't know what we're talking about yeah uh, i've never seen it right the gigaon puts out a couple different reports mm -hmm. based on radars they are concentric circles and then yeah. within those are companies that play in that space this mm -hmm. one that we're talking about specifically is for uh, uh data protection yeah. yes uh, so backup recovery, those kind of things. Uh -huh. And so you'll see a whole bunch of you know names and, and towards the center is uh, uh, better, right? Yeah. We're going to put it that way T towards mm -hmm. the, you know, and then the top is mature, right? Is platform <laughs> low is innovation and the other side is a feature play. So, mm -hmm. you know, a, a different variation on magic quadrants, yeah. if you're familiar with those, <laughs> et cetera. Um, but the industry has generally been yeah. um, paying attention to these. So I, I know uh, we kind of made fun of the radar, like the actual radar, <laughs> but, but, but they do have a table and good descriptions about features in the vendor yes. from all the different vendors. So like if you are looking at the solution or, or you are in the phase of evaluating them, they do do a good breakdown. So not taking away the authenticity. Yeah, no, we're not it's bashing a, it. We're yeah, not bashing it. It's just a radar looks funny, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, so that was like one piece of news. Uh, I think of, I have a few others. Um, the first one being, uh, the second one being like, a new feature to GitOps from Weave GitOps called GitOps Run. So now, right now, right, if you're a developer, you might be spinning up Kubernetes clusters. You might be spinning up kind clusters on your own. You might ask your platform engineering team to spin up development environments for you. What GitOps Run does is it gives you a CLI-based interface where if you already have kind or Minikube or K3D or K3S installed, it will work with that create these uh, sandbox environments for you where you can test out your code. It will help you create those customization files, those YAML files by just putting code into that specific repo. Uh, it, it like saves valuable hours that the developers don't have. And then from a platform engineering team perspective, it eliminates the work of having to manually provision these environments for your developers. So uh, if you're using Weave GitOps, check it out. We'll have a link in the show notes. They also have like a cool demo where they show how this actually works. They have like a Visual Studio Code interface in the demo as well. Very cool. The the next piece of article was around chat GPT or GPT-3 and how one of the Kubernetes security vendor, Armasec, uh, has published an article. It looked like a clickbait article because they said how Kubernetes security can be done better with chat GPT. Uh, good article, maybe five steps of how to create a quote-unquote Kubernetes security control. Uh, maybe control is something that they use in their uh, tool. But it, uh, what I found funny <laughs> is at the end, they have a disclaimer which says, the results generated by GPT-3 are not verified to work. So they encourage everybody to test this before putting it into production. So like I know everybody is talking about chat GPT these days. So I think they just felt might this might be an interesting way to get some eyeballs on their website. Crowdsourcing <laughs> the testing of a, of a GPT-produced security. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Okay. Which, oh, by the way, it's a good way to bring up the, uh, we're going to do a new segment on the show yes. um, where we basically ask ChatGPT to come up with a fun question to ask mm -hmm. our guest. Yeah. Uh, if it's just us, it'll, it'll ask it to ask us. Um, and we can either uh, let the guest or ourselves come up with a creative answer to that question, or we'll ask the question right back at ChatGPT and see what it has to say. So that'll be a fun way to, yeah. we'll work it in, in the intro, in the um, interview itself or in the exit, but uh Keep an eye out for those. <laughs> They're quite fun. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just uh, uh, yeah, we, there. That, that, this is definitely a cool idea, right? Like if, if you like our answer, let us know. If you don't and if you have a better answer to that question, like ping us, like send also us an email. Right, yeah. Yeah. We'll cover yeah. it in the following show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was another piece of news. I think a couple more. Uh, we spoke about K3S kind, uh, Docker desktop and Minikube as tools that can be used for local development. So I found a good link which lists these tools as the best tools for local development. Uh, again, the list is great, but they actually have like getting started guides, like two or three steps for each of these tools. Uh, so we'll link it in the show notes if you are 
looking for instructions on how to like use any of these. And then the final piece was around Astra block. So Astra is uh, data stacks is uh, Cassandra as a service or a managed service that they offer, right? They added a new service called Astra block, uh, which allows Web3 developers to use real-time blockchain data service. And right now, they are completely synced with Ethereum. And in the future, they'll also have streams for Bitcoin, Polygon, Solana, Binance, and other blockchains. So again, why is this interesting? This is interesting because if you were playing in the Web3 space, you can, again, on your own, uh, get a node and query the blockchain and get all of the results that you want. But if you're looking for complex applications or if you're looking to build these complex complex applications, there's a lot of overhead. So I think having this as a managed service where you can get access to real-time blockchain data in a human-readable format for your apps to consume, I think that really will help you uh, work faster or innovate faster if you are building something in the Web3 space. But yeah, that's yeah. news for me. Cool. So what do I have here? So the first one is uh, a company coming out of stealth. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you've heard of it. I haven't yet, Bobbin, but volumes or <laughs> yeah, volumes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know actually how to say that, but I'm going to say volumes. Um, the article says volumes. So yeah, I'm just sticking yeah. with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it came out of stealth uh, and is really focusing sort of like a cross cloud delivery mm -hmm. of a data path to containers. So yeah. they, they do have a CSI driver mm -hmm. um, and they work across, you know, EC2, Google, Azure, those kind of things. Um, really focusing, it seems like, on the AI ML space, so yeah. maybe around performance and things like that and security around, you know, you know consuming volumes um that being said i don't know a ton about it but it, mm -hmm. it is a, a yet another player in the space yep. um you know maybe we'll try to get someone from there to uh, come on and talk us, to us about what it's all about yeah um, first my, time first time i read that article i was like maybe this is storage or volumes for gen z <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. They, they do seem a little late to the party but yeah. uh you know um all four having mm -hmm. other players in the space yeah. just shows how valid i think yeah, yeah it all is still um then there is um a, a new to me uh platform called section i don't know mm -hmm. if you've heard section.io um their whole thing is you know deploy containers globally kind mm -hmm. of uh you know, we're seeing more of this, right? Abstraction, abstraction, abstraction yep. on top of uh, multi-cloud use cases and things like that. Um, and they've uh, officially supported now the persistent volumes. So um, as far as I can tell, that wasn't something they supported prior. Uh, it's a new to me platform, but now you can use persistent volumes. So yet another place where the relevancy of what we talk about is mm -hmm. seen. Um, but I'll have to go check it out um, and see what section is all about. Seems yeah, interesting. Cool. Like they look like a cloud native hosting platform. I am surprised that they are adding persistent storage right now, which is weird, but yeah. Yeah, you know, <laughs> uh, but I, I like I said, I, I we see more and more of yeah. this, right? Where it's like, okay, multiple platforms, multiple Kubernetes sort of plays. Mm -hmm. Well, now don't manage them individually to manage them above that, right? Yep. Um, we we talked to other folks like cycle and, mm -hmm. and on the show that are in you know work in similar spaces so very cool to see mm -hmm. um the next one is gkae file store um uh, multi-share support uh if you're if you're a user of gke and are looking for sort of a shared volume multi um uh using their file store multi-share mm -hmm. stuff uh is now um there's more support for it and um yeah, and nothing too crazy there. Yeah, um, just a feature. Yeah. yeah, just a feature. But, um, you know, I think I try to make sure we're catching all this. It yep. seems like there's there's months and months that there's not a ton comes out in the storage space. But um, then you see you know, a whole bunch of movement, mm -hmm. which just shows you, you know, uh, there's, there's still a lot going on every day. So very cool stuff. And that's the end of the news, Bobbin. So yep. let's get into our interview with Nigel. Let's get him on the show. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. All right, Nigel, welcome to Kubernetes Bytes. It's really great to have you on the show. Why don't you give the listeners a quick introduction of who you are and kind of what you've been up to? Okay, so my name's Nigel. Um, I live in the UK, that's the accent. Um, and I have spent oh, too long now um, working <laughs> with yeah, containers, Kubernetes, um, and honestly, anything that I, I find interesting. Mm -hmm. 
So sure. um, I like, I mean, I don't live life on the bleeding edge, don't get me wrong, but I like to feel like I do. Um, I feel like I get bored with technologies quite quickly. Um, so, I mean, I'm not bored with containers and Kubernetes yet, but mm-hmm. I feel like I might have been almost getting there. And sure. if it wasn't for the fact that I've kind of not pivoted, but I'm trying to add um, WebAssembly or WASM mm-hmm. to my current list of cool technologies that I play with and work with. Nice. And I've been following Nigel for years, right? Like uh, when, when he co-hosted the In, In Tech We Trust podcast, I've been like, he has been helping me learn about Docker and the early days of Kubernetes. So I was so glad that, okay, you started uh, like looking into Wasm and I was following your tweets during the Wasm day at KubeCon Detroit. I was like, yeah. okay, if you're talking about Wasm, Ryan, we need to get Nigel on so he can yeah. explain it to everyone. <laughs> yeah, I know, it, I know it's come up with a few other guests we've had, yeah. mostly in like the crypto side of things that we've had a few guests on. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. Can I just t- say two things, gents? So um, the Intech We Trust podcast back in the day, I mean, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But we talked mainly about data storage back then and, and the wider tech field. But I think most of the people that were on that podcast were kind of storage experts. And I spent yeah. about 10 years in the storage world. And when I think about that now, like 10 years specializing <laughs> on one technology, I'm like, how on earth did I do it without like, <laughs> just giving up tech in total? But then, then if I like flip to where I am now with this kind of more bleeding edge, um, I don't want to lead too much with the bleeding edge but when i was at um cloud native wasm day at Mm -hmm. kubecon in detroit it was so new and so um in-depth tech that i think i walked away at the end of the day having taken in about five percent of what had been served out and by the time i woke up the next morning i'd rounded that down to about two percent um i'm working my way back up to about about five percent now so don't expect too much right <laughs> no we're just looking for 101 like i, I had a similar oh, yeah. feeling I, I didn't attend that day in person but i watched the recordings later on and after the couple of intro and keynote sessions on the day like everything else was just too in detail for me i was like i need to start using this yeah. for me to like actually understand those remaining sessions so yeah so this is this is going to be a great podcast so yeah, I think I, that I've watched one of the sessions three times now <laughs> and um, I, I'll need to watch another three before I'm up to speed. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> so no worries, no worries. You bring up 10 years and I, I actually think I just hit my 10th year uh, in data storage. So uh, maybe I'm going to bring up something. So, uh, we'll, we'll see. This this uh, podcast actually started off mostly focusing on you know persistence and storage, but it's grown okay. beyond that. And, and Bob and I are both, I think, Mostly thankful for all of that. So, so Ryan, no offense with what I said earlier about ten years ago. <laughs> you have me thinking. No, I'm just kidding. yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's start the part, right? Let's talk about what is WebAssembly, what is Wasm. Like, if we had to give that elevator pitch or just a one-on-one level, right, Nigel? Let's right. go. <laughs> right. So, if there's higher than one-on-one, let me go there first. Okay. <laughs> so, I'm going to say it's the next wave of cloud computing. Okay. And the easiest way to frame that is by saying, okay, the first wave of cloud computing was driven by virtual machines, and they did a great job. But then mm-hmm. something came along that was smaller, faster, more lightweight, and and you know, could kind of drive uh, the cloud to the next level, and that was containers. So yeah. containers being that second wave. Well, if we're about to approach the third wave, obviously there's a technology needed for that. It looks like it is going to be WebAssembly or WASM, mm-hmm. um, and it's for the very same reasons. Containers were smaller, faster, more lightweight than virtual machines. Well, guess what? WebAssembly is the same when compared to containers. But I'm going to throw in that it's also, um, well, actually, containers are more portable than VMs as well. Um, and so is WebAssembly. It's more portable than a container. Mm-hmm. And it is potentially more secure as well. Um, and we might come to that a little bit later on. But that's like, you know, if you want to total elevator pitch to, to an absolute noob, it's that next wave of cloud computing. But the detail is that it's, um, you know, detail at 101, right? Yeah. But it, it does to containers what containers did to virtual machines. Now, I'm not saying... Well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. I'm not saying WebAssembly is going to replace containers, probably mm-hmm. in the same way that containers have never 100% replaced virtual machines. Sure. We do still have VMs and things out there. Heck, I mean, yep. we've still got mainframes out there, right? <laughs> um, but I think there is a good chance that WebAssembly will start to eat away, given enough time, um, to the kind of share of the cloud that containers has at the moment. And for those reasons that I said before, it's smaller, faster, more lightweight, more portable, and potentially more secure. So talking about smaller, faster, more lightweight, right? Uh, 
we when we were talking about containers in the early days everybody used this one slide where we had the bare metal nodes and virtual machines and containers and every time we saw uh, we showed that you don't need the os layer and things like that is yeah. WebAssembly removing another layer from a container image or what's what's going on there yeah so i suppose in the container model the the kind of core kernel elements are shared with the host system that it's running on. But within a container, you still usually build from a base image that has a bunch of operating system constructs yeah. in there, you know, files for a file system and, and stuff like that. Um, WebAssembly doesn't have that. So um, being super high level, again, like I, I did a test recently and it it's not a perfect test, okay, but yeah. um, I did a Hello World container, pushed it to Docker Hub. I'm picking the numbers from my head right now, okay? But it was something <laughs> like three, four, five meg. Um, and I did the same for um, a WebAssembly artifact, a WebAssembly module, pushed that to Docker Hub, um, and that was about 500K. Um, oh, wow. St still a lot for a hello world when you think yeah. about it. Th there are ways to do it and make it smaller, don't get me wrong. Um, but I just wanted it to be like, uh, you know, the kind of test that anybody can do, just a standard container yeah. built from a small base image, hello world, three, four, five meg. Same thing again for WebAssembly, half a meg. Um, and I think one of the reasons, I guess, probably technically for that is that you're not even throwing in any any operating system, file system components or anything like mm -hmm. that. It's really just your application code, um, which then executes on a WebAssembly runtime, but I might be getting ahead again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no worries. You know, I keep thinking of this analogy of, you know, cell phones to becoming smaller and smaller and smaller and a comedy skit that's coming up in my head of like this tiny little, you know, tiny flip phone. And uh -huh. maybe this leads to my next question, which is, you know, we're, we're striving for smaller and, and you know, uh, more portable and all these things. Is there a time uh, when things become too small? Like, is there a good idea of when to use something like Wasm and more importantly, when not to use something like right, Wasm? Okay. So I think I think three questions there. So the first one, mm -hmm. is there ever a time when something, you know, when we'll get to a point where it's too small? Um, yeah. What a question, right? I've never <laughs> considered that before. Wow. Like, boom, head explosion. Um, I feel like we're not there yet, okay? Um, and, and it probably leads into the next question of when should we use WebAssembly or WASM? Um, mm -hmm. and, and this is a very time-constrained question. And, and when I say that, I mean like, you know, in two or three years' time, um, this won't necessarily apply. But right now, um, if you are wanting to use WebAssembly because it's so early days for, for WebAssembly outside of the browser and, you know, in the cloud or mm -hmm. server side, um, those use cases are serverless functions um, because WebAssembly modules have crazy, like amazing cold start times um, that enable like re honestly true scale to zero architectures where you don't need a few pre-warmed containers. These things can start up so fast you can go from zero not to hero, but you know, you can go yeah. to, from zero to um, handling requests very, very quickly. Um, I would say probably the other place is anywhere where you're resource constrained. So places like the edge, where yeah. despite the fact that containers are way smaller than virtual machines, mm -hmm. um, and we, we do now have kind of sort of edge-driven Kubernetes distros like K3D and, and, and the likes of those, um, I still feel like WebAssembly is, you know, orders of magnitude smaller and more resource lightweight. So much better solutions for the edge at the moment. So right now, where, where should you use WebAssembly? Um, if you're brave enough, then it's serverless functions, you know, event-driven stuff, and it's on yeah. the edge. Where should you not use it? Um, again, I'm really careful how I say this. You know, we are at the beginning of 2023 for anybody that yeah. would slaughter yeah. me in the future for this, right? <laughs> um, but I would say you would have to be extremely brave to use it outside of those use cases right now i do think going forward and and relatively quickly like you know maybe next year we are pushing it a lot further but right mm -hmm. now um i feel like WebAssembly, the standards have to mature quite a bit um and also the tooling in the ecosystem as well for us to you know just to be able to say to development teams actually it's not really really complicated to use WebAssembly, which it kind of is at times now. Um, sure. the, the, there's, there's still a lot of friction there. So once the tools are better, once the standards evolve more, yeah. then like I was saying before, we're going to start seeing it eat into uh, container land for a longer okay. term. So like you brought up a couple of terms, right? So I want to double click on those. You said WebAssembly on the server and WebAssembly on the browser. What's the difference there? 
what do the, what does that mean okay right so webassembly was effectively born in the browser um mm-hmm. it's not super true but but that that's where it's it's um cut its teeth or that's okay. where it, it's you know it, it's it's grown to where it is now by being in a browser and the idea was that um JavaScript can be somewhat clunky and bloated and heavyweight. And if you're wanting to run high-performance web apps, games, and things like that, it's not always the best solution. Um, along comes something like WebAssembly that you know compiles down to, to very small byte code that executes very quickly. Um, you can now do high-performance stuff in a browser without having to wait, I don't know, five seconds for it to load and you, you yep. know that, that kind of stuff. Um, but honestly, when, when we talk about the web and browsers and things, the people that work there and the technologies that operate on the web in the browser, they do not mess about. And and when I say that, I mean like, you know, if you get something wrong in a browser, like let's say you mess up Chrome or you mess up your website so that it's mm-hmm. five, six seconds to load and, you know, um, processors can escape from the browser and take over your machine and stuff like that. If you make those kind of mistakes, I'm being a bit cheesy here, but you're almost making headline news. Yep. You know, the, the, the browser is at the forefront of everybody's life on a mobile device and stuff like yeah. that. The likes of us who work in the cloud, and I include myself here, no disrespect, but like we're small fry compared to what goes in, on in the browser. So WebAssembly has um, spent quite a few years now maturing um, mm-hmm. on the web, which is such a good thing for us in the cloud because it means like if it meets the kind of security requirements and the size requirements of things that, that work on the web, it is once we've got the tooling and stuff available, going to be a dream for us in the cloud. Um, so WebAssembly is um, kind of, a, or, or the WebAssembly engine is embedded in every browser that you run today. Okay. Um, so, so the JavaScript engine in most browsers, right, also does WebAssembly. Brilliant. Um, Doing it in the cloud is a, quite a different model because we don't run browsers in, in our cloud apps, right? right so yeah. um, there are a bunch of companies out there that have built what we call WebAssembly runtimes. Mm-hmm. And I guess look, this is the Kubernetes Bytes podcast, so we kind of know what a runtime is. Yeah. Um, for, for now, we'll just call it Container D or Run C or something like that, okay? Um, mm-hmm. But it's an environment... Um, that allows you to execute code. So for WebAssembly, a WebAssembly runtime creates an environment on a cloud server or on a server that lets you execute WebAssembly code. So I think the big picture, and I'm waffling a little bit here, right, is you write your application. I'm just going to say you write it in Rust because that's got the most support for WebAssembly at the moment. You compile that down to a WebAssembly binary. So instead of when when you compile it, you don't say, "Um, let's compile this for Linux on ARM64 or ARCH64, whatever you want to call it, right? You say, we're going to compile this for WebAssembly. But actually, there isn't really a WebAssembly computer out there, is there? So you install a WebAssembly runtime on that computer. It can be a laptop, a server in mm-hmm. on-premises data center. It can be an instance in the cloud. As long as you have a WebAssembly runtime, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's Linux or Windows or ARM64 or, or whatever, yeah, x86 underneath. The WebAssembly runtime takes care of all of that and means you can just run your code anywhere, which is what I hinted to before when I said it's much more portable than a container. Because yeah. if you think about a container, if you want to run it, um, on different architectures and platforms, like like I've just said, you've got to build a different image for each one. You don't have to do that for WebAssembly. You compile it as a WebAssembly binary, and as long as you have a runtime running somewhere, it will execute that code for you. I know that's a real challenge with containers, right? Like everybody's building applications for that x86 architecture, but if you want to take it to ARM, a lot of retooling and recoding is needed to just run yeah, it on a different so I think progress has been made in the container community there to, to make it easier to build across different architectures and platforms. Yeah. But you're still maintaining multiple images and 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 looking after them and storing them and stuff like that. So it's um, it's not as ideal as WebAssembly. But of course, I'm going to keep saying this right at the moment. WebAssembly is really kind of new okay. on, on the cloud. So, and we spoke about the Kubernetes community, right? And since this is Kubernetes Byte, so how does cloud native community work with Wasm or how can they get started with Wasm? Is there an easy route? Right, yeah, okay. So I think there's two major ways of doing it, right? Um, let's say the first way is by integrating it with your existing container tools and platforms. And I include Kubernetes in that, right? Mm-hmm. So um, maybe we can include a link in the podcast or something. Um, yeah. But I have a blog out there on excuse me, how to use, um, how to get started with WebAssembly and Docker desktop. Um, And that walks you through the steps of writing it, just a hello world um, 
WebAssembly application, compiling it, then packaging it. This might blow your mind, right? Um, if, if you've not heard this before, but packaging it inside of a container image, so an OCI image, and then right. pushing it to Docker Hub, pulling it on another machine and running it using a WebAssembly runtime somewhere else. So, so that one of those ways is by saying, we'll take our existing tools and mm-hmm. Docker or Docker desktop has all of the tooling involved to do that. Um, so you would build your WebAssembly binary with in your favorite programming language, whatever that is, a bunch of them will compile to WebAssembly now. And then you're straight over to familiar Docker, um, probably Podman and other tools as well, don't get me wrong. I'm not picking favorites here. Um, and they will. you can then just do a Docker build and you can build it into an OCI image, Docker push, push it to Docker hub, yep. pull it down, run it using a WebAssembly runtime somewhere else. Or if you're into Kubernetes, and it's super early with this as well, right? But Kubernetes is now, or there are projects that will now allow Kubernetes to orchestrate WebAssembly workloads. Right. So just cut okay. me off if I'm waffling here. No, guys, no, no, that's great. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I think we know that like Kubernetes, I'm looking at myself in the camera now, yeah. Kubernetes sits at the top of the diagram, right? And it's kind of the mm-hmm. boss or um, the 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 piece of software that's in charge of saying, okay, I've got workloads to run. Where am I going to run them? Right. And and the Mm -hmm. scheduler in Kubernetes takes care of that. And it says, okay, whatever node five, you're going to run this, this piece of work and node five, there's got a kubelet running on it, which is, you know, watching the API server all the time and says, Oh, I've got a piece of work I need to run. And it pulls down that piece of work and runs it only sticking with containers. Right. So, the kubelet in Kubernetes, it can't run containers. It needs some help. Usually, not picking favorites again, but usually that's going to be container D as your yeah. kind of high-level container runtime. And container D says, all right, um, even I don't know how to run containers. Um, run C, will you please run this as a container for me? Fabulous. Okay, well, I know. But if <laughs> Kubernetes now schedules a WebAssembly workload, and there's stuff going on in the background here, right? And we can get into yeah. it if we want to. But it says... I'm going to pick node five again. Hey, node five, you run this WebAssembly workload for me. Okay. Okay. Node five, the kubelet says, right, I'm going to, I've got a piece of work, but actually I don't know how to run WebAssembly work either. Um, Container D, and yes, I do mean container D, even though it says container in its name, it can now do more. Container D, will you run this WebAssembly workload for me? Now there is a shim out there Mm -hmm. now called run wazzy run wazzy um that allows container d to say okay this is not actually a container workload so i'm going to need a web assembly runtime instead of run c to run this workload for me and it might be wasm edge or it might be wasm time or something like that there are a bunch of web assembly um engines or no no uh, web assembly runtimes out there Mm -hmm. basically because there's a shim for container d Kubernetes, like, well, we already know that anything below container D is opaque to Kubernetes, right? Kubernetes doesn't get involved in that low-level stuff. So actually, whether it's um, Wasm Edge executing a WebAssembly workload or whether it's Run C executing an OCI container, Mm -hmm. Kubernetes does not care. So you can, (laughs) with your existing tools... Um, be super cloud native about it, or mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm just going to cut this briefly because nobody wants to hear me talk all day, right? <laughs> I know. The other way is not Kubernetes and not containers, but go proper WebAssembly native with a platform like, and again, I'm not picking favorites, but Wasm Cloud or Fermion mm-hmm. Spin, the Fermion Cloud or something like that. We've got yeah. some startups that are saying, instead of Oh, I've got to be super careful what I say here because people will slaughter me. Instead of um, bloating it um, yeah. with containers and tools and things like that, I'm, I'm being a little bit unfair there. Um, let's go really native um, mm-hmm. and, and just do this like the way WebAssembly on the cloud was meant to be. And I'll just sure. say, right, there's pros and cons to both ways. If you go the way WebAssembly was meant to be on the cloud, you might be smaller, you might be faster, you might be a bit more efficient. But wow, there's a lack of tools out there at the moment. If Mm -hmm. you go, and it's hard, if you go down the route of saying the route, um, we're going to do Kubernetes and containers and stuff, wrap it in a container, use Kubernetes to schedule it and stuff. The tools and things are there and the the bits to plug WebAssembly into it are coming and getting more mature. Mm -hmm. All the pipelines and things like that already exist, your tools for your pipelines. Right. Yeah. And it might not be as fast and as efficient. I'm not saying it's going to be slow, by the way, okay? Yeah. Um, but but it's just, it's pros and cons. And I think as an industry, 
There are people on both sides of the fence here. We have not necessarily decided, and I am not necessarily saying that one will win out over the other and mm -hmm. we could end up in a world where both exist. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like Bob and I have had a lot of discussions, especially lately about, you know, the future of sort of mixed workloads and, and what and what kind of organizations you see doing that, right? A lot of more mature organizations are never going to get rid of their uh, virtual machine infrastructure. And they're, they're, they're now building out their Kubernetes and cloud native or Kubernetes, uh, sorry, container uh, infrastructure. Yeah. And that that's a world we see living on for quite a long time. And why not say that, okay, well, you know, there's going to be developers that are coming in, in these smaller teams and, you know, organizations are kind of building on top of these DevOps principles. So why not let them do some some WASM and support them to be able to deploy it into an already existing tool chain or pipeline? That mm -hmm. world, I feel like absolutely exists, like this kind of like big sort of, oh, yeah. um, you know, architecture of, of mixed workloads. And, you know, a lot of discussion has been around um, what do orchestrators look like in the future? Well, is it modified versions of Kubernetes that now can deploy VMs and WASM? Because that because that's kind of what you were kind of describing, right? Is we have both of these worlds now. Yep. Um, but in many cases, maybe you're a Greenfield company, um, a, a totally uh, WASM native approach. Why, yeah, absolutely. makes That makes sense. And you so, could argue like you, there's a whole ton of bloat there that you yeah. wouldn't want in sort of an edge case or, or as, you know, if you're looking at performance only. Yeah. Can I just weigh in on that? So um, I am totally with you when, you know, you're saying some some organizations still have virtual machines. I felt like saying, I think I can well, think of some organizations that are just starting to deploy virtual machines. That's a fair point. That's a fair <laughs> point. I know. I know. But, but, you know, when, so I, I say I, I like to live sort of close to that bleeding edge, and I'm sure you guys mm -hmm. do as well and a lot of listeners, but I try to be aware as well that, do you know what? A lot of organizations are only starting that containers and Kubernetes journey. Yeah. And, oh, my goodness, when you start to hit, See, oh, well, WebAssembly is coming along as this third wave of the cloud. It's like fatigue starts to hit in. Like, <laughs> like really? You know, I am still struggling with getting my head around Kubernetes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I'm going to just show my cards for a second here. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I love both approaches that we've talked about, like using the existing tools and things yeah. and going the, the more native or pure route. Um, pure. Um, okay. Now... I'm a fan of Kubernetes, and I, I see a lot of organizations that are making a bet on Kubernetes being with us and around for quite some time going forward. And I feel like there's, look, Kubernetes is not perfect. No technology ever is. I'm not silly there, okay? Um, but I feel like the community is working hard to make sure that Kubernetes can evolve um, and be with us for as long as possible. So I would love to be able to see a future where Kubernetes is orchestrating containers, virtual machines, WebAssembly workloads, and potentially whatever comes along next. Mm -hmm. In part because I just, this sort of cycle or merry-go-round of constantly changing technologies, we've got to do it, right? Because if you don't, you get left behind it. And, and you can't always evolve an existing technology to tomorrow's requirements. I understand that. But wow, you know, we're only getting started with Kubernetes and <laughs> the thought of thinking, you know, in five years time, Kubernetes, oh yeah, I think I, I remember that. Oh, that's kind of a world that, that strikes fear into my, deep into my soul. And, but I think you were right, Ryan, when you said that um, some of the startups, you know, greenfield deployments and, and, and companies like that, especially if you're small and you, you see an opportunity not to have to take on, I don't know if technical debt is the right term for Kubernetes because it still seems super new, um, mm -hmm. that, that technical overhead maybe yeah. of Kubernetes. Yeah. Um, I can see a, a lot of organizations saying, well, if we don't have to do that climb a mountain to Kubernetes, I'm not going to do it. So, Oh, yeah. yeah. And we were starting to see stories of, of companies that said, well, we didn't and or or we did and we regret it, right? And so we, I think we had a whole uh, episode on when to Kubernetes something, Poffin. It was quite a good right. one. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's an absolute reality. <clears throat> no, I'm just amazed with the idea that Kubernetes can orchestrate my VMs with the KubeWord project today, containers, yeah. and then Wasm with the with the container DSHIM that you mentioned. So I'm happy that we don't have to rename our podcast, Ryan, like five years down the line, <laughs> Nigel was saying Kubernetes. It's, what it's, is? Like, yeah. I, like, yeah. Yeah, I still want this to be around. <laughs> 
Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope so. And and I'm I'm pretty convinced that it will be. Um, will it be like the best at everything? I think obviously no. And mm-hmm. it's not even right now. I'll put my. <laughs> put my hat out there and say that it's probably not even the best container orchestrator out there, but it has all the momentum. It's got all the development mm-hmm. and it is good enough for the vast majority. I, th- I think if done properly and if it continues to get easier and simpler, um, the, the vast majority, well, the vast majority, 70, 80% yep. of workloads. Absolutely. So um, shifting gears a little bit here, I want to talk about what we can actually kind of build, maybe more of an application perspective here about what uh, a Wasm application looks like. Now, you know, maybe a way to start this since we're Kubernetes podcast is, can I put what I have in my container image into a Wasm application? Uh, is that wise? Would that be a thing? Or do you have to start somewhere new? Um, and, and or, you know, we'll start there. Let's, right. Let's okay. Assuming that I understand the question or that I, I'm, I'm on the same wavelength as you hear. So I mm-hmm. think if you go down like WebAssembly with Kubernetes, mm-hmm. then the easiest route is to stick with the existing kind of microservices design patterns that you have at the moment. Okay. Um, and you would, of course, start um, by picking the right microservices within an application um, that are suited to WebAssembly. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, and we've not touched on this, but because WebAssembly was designed originally or, or developed mainly inside of a browser, um, it didn't need access to like host file systems and host network and all that kind of stuff. So things like that are lagging behind in WebAssembly on the server or WebAssembly on the cloud. Um, and there's a project called WASI, WebAssembly mm-hmm. Systems Interface, that's out there um, trying to make that easier. So make mm-hmm. a standardized way for WebAssembly modules or, or WebAssembly applications to be able to consume host resources. Big picture, high-level right, view okay. there. Yep. So if you go Kubernetes and your existing tool chains, probably the existing microservices design pattern where you start saying, oh, this particular service would do well as a WebAssembly one. Then as the standards and the technologies evolve, you know, you may get applications where every single microservice comprising that is a WebAssembly module. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go the more pure route, um, or, or like what we talked about before, like, you know, the more WebAssembly native, yeah. then it's interesting that the architectures there are a little bit ahead of us. And um, because they can be without like, you know, existing users and things, but um, where you would take only your core business logic and write that mm-hmm. as a WebAssembly app or a WebAssembly module, like a still, still think of it as microservices, right? You've got all these different moving parts as, as part of your application. Um, but your non-functional requirements, things like your data stores um, right. and, and, and other things like that, that aren't core to what the business is accomplishing, but are needed as part of your application. We're starting to see you don't actually build and, and code and develop those non-functional requirements. The platform ships with them. So you would maybe say, we've got a core piece of business logic here that we have to write, okay? Um, and it needs um, a data store. Mm-hmm. But really, look, the end user and the business and, and really the application itself doesn't care which particular or which flavor of data store it is. It just needs somewhere that it can store data and retrieve data. So all it's looking for to use, like I feel like the technical term is a contract. So yeah. I just need a contract that, you know, the data is going to be there when I want it and there's going to be space for me to put it. I'm oversimplifying, okay? But these newer platforms um, quite often ship with a built-in data store um, okay. and with a built-in HTTP handler and things like that. Um, so that you just write only the, the bits of the microservice that you need to for your business. And then you just have a contract with the platform that says, you know, handle this request for me and, and, and I'll, I'll implement the business logic. So I feel like that's almost, um, and I'm just making this up here, right? There's probably a better term for it and I'm not the right person, but V2 of microservices, like the platform ships and and has those core non-functional requirements. And Mm -hmm. and now you're only writing, you know, the the bits that your business needs, your your business logic type apps. Um, I I think that's it. Go on. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting vision, right? I'm not sure how much of that is reality today, but having that contract in place, having like making sure that stateful apps is a thing. Uh, does make sense. Uh, I think that leads me to my next question, right? Uh, when we started with the whole Kubernetes journey, 
for the first three years, maybe everybody thought Kubernetes is just for stateless and yeah. just spin up your containers, kill them, and then you can keep doing that over and over again. And yeah. then the CSI standard came along and everybody like vendors that like we work for uh, also have CSI plugins as storage yeah. solutions for your containerized applications. Yeah. Since Wasm works with Kubernetes, can it still leverage, can it still be stateful? Can it still leverage the CSI plugins that I might already have and build those apps in, 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 in a more stateful way? Right. So, so I'm seeing two things. Well, I've got your question there, but I want to just touch on what you said before the question. Okay. By saying that what I'm talking about there of having these contracts with like built in non-functional requirements and stuff, it's not there in things like Kubernetes at the moment. You're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. However, um, existing platforms, the likes of Wasm Cloud and, okay. and, and Fermion and people like that. Um, so Wasm Cloud has like, I think I'm I'm right in saying this, it's got an HTTP handler, it's got um, a, a Redis implementation and now a MySQL implementation as well. Right. So that it, it's, it's early days, of course, but these things do exist. Um, they're just in like that very formative phase. Um, mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say like, Right now, you can do that to a limited degree. But mm-hmm. of course, if you're listening to this in six months' time, um, it, it's going to be more and more like that. The, the other thing to your question about um, WebAssembly for stateless and stateful workloads, um, I feel like the question right now is more, um, can WebAssembly as a technology and as a standard um, do what you need it to do. So it's not so much um, integrating okay. with CSI um, and CNI and things like that on Kubernetes. It's more that WebAssembly itself right now is so nascent um, that, that plugging it into anything else right now, and, and I may be making a lot of people turn off to WebAssembly with this. <laughs> no, I don't mean it this way, but it's yeah. like, wow, it is so early there that, like, I mean plugging it into CSI and stuff like that. Don't get me, get me wrong. I'm sure like, um, for instance, Microsoft Azure um, with their AKS service are kind of leading the way, in my opinion, with some of the integrations with Kubernetes. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Ralph Scalacci and and some of the people there will will come come and just beat me down if I'm wrong about this. But like um, that, if we're talking bleeding edge before, like that is way beyond bleeding edge for me at the moment. Um, That I think... When I don't feel like we're quite there yet, but wow, I mean, we might get there very, very quickly. So right now I'm, I'm going to, because I'm waffling, I'm going to just say, really look at WebAssembly at yeah. the moment, the early part of 2023 for serverless event-driven, you know, functions as a service mm-hmm. for maybe out on the edge. Anything else right now? And you are super, super brave. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think that's a great uh, baseline, right? Like it is February of 2023. So yeah. use it for what it's meant to be. As you said, it's really early in its days. So play around with it, try out your hello world program, see how it works for your applications. And then like worry about stateful maybe next year or in, in 18 months. You know, I, I think we've had this uh, a similar conversation, Bhavan, um, which is use the right tool for the job. And yeah. I, I really do believe that, you know, Wasm represents yet another tool that are that's going to be coming into a lot of people's toolboxes per yeah. se, right? If you're going to put an analogy on it. Uh, I like what it's kind of representing. I know we initially learned a lot about it and sort of the, the, the web-based and crypto-based kind of usage of it. Um, but seeing it come in and kind of, you know, we're seeing things like the crustlet, which I do. I, I love that name, by the way. Uh, and I want to ask more about what a cru- and I'm, maybe I'm saying it wrong, but a crustlet. Yeah. Um, 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 but seeing it kind of dive into this world of containers and Kubernetes and being adopted in there, you are going to see a natural pe- people asking, can I attach a volume to it? Right. Yeah. To your point on CSI and sort of, you know, where, where our backgrounds are. So, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, we could dive into a little bit about what a crustlet is or, yeah. you know, does, is that used in something like Wasm cloud, you know, where right. do all those things connect? Okay. So crustlet, um, first thing to say is, and I'm going to just, just be out there. Um, people can shoot me down, but I'm going to say crustlet is dead. Okay. Um, okay. And, and I think a lot of people will agree with me. If you look at the GitHub repo, I can't remember now, but I think the last commit was about a year ago. So the idea of Crustlet was to re-implement the Kubelet 
um, yeah. on every Kubernetes node, written in crust, uh, written in crust, written in rust, but everything <laughs> in Kubernetes has to start with a K, right? Yeah. So Kubelet, uh, Rust, Crustlet, yeah, very cool name. Um, I think it was a good project and a lot was learned. I wasn't involved, but just talking to mm -hmm. some of the people that were, a lot yeah. was learned. Better approaches now are using the container D shim approach, um, run wasi, what we talked yeah. about earlier. Okay. I've got a blog post on run wasi as well, which we'll maybe include in the notes, that just for somebody from a Kubernetes and containers perspective um, mm -hmm. explains why it's a better solution really because it just like we were talking about before everything below container d is opaque to kubernetes mm -hmm. if yep. you can if your workload if the scheduler can just you know schedule wasm workloads and and, yeah. and you know container d hide all of the implementation detail below wow i mean that that's such a slick mm -hmm. smooth approach in my opinion and, mm -hmm. and you were correct. I just clicked on the Crestlet Git repo, uh, GitHub repo, and it, the last commit was May 5th of 2022. So uh, Crestlet project's a bit crusty. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Do you know what? I was devastated early on before we had the likes of Run Wazi, Container yep. D, Shims, and things, um, because it, it really was the way to kind of get WebAssembly onto Kubernetes. It was never super good, I don't think. And that, that's obviously why the project didn't live on. Mm -hmm. um, but now that we have better solutions yet you know push it to one side and we'll move on with a better yeah makes sense and uh, i did want to touch on wasm cloud we've mentioned wasm cloud a bunch of times is that basically like a cloud provider for running uh wasm applications if you're interested in doing that kind of thing okay so i don't work for anybody involved with wasm cloud or anything like that but i do play around with it of course yeah. um i feel like the name is a little bit misleading um because in fact i was playing around with wasm cloud yesterday totally on my laptop and i could have had the network card turned off on my laptop and everything i did with wasm cloud locally would have worked so it's effectively a web assembly runtime but that it implements, like I was saying before, like an HTTP handler, um, mm -hmm. Redis, um, now MySQL with the latest, oh, I can't remember, 0 mm -hmm. 0.6 release or something like that. So it, it's it's effectively a WebAssembly runtime um, with a few bells and whistles so that you can schedule a WebAssembly workload to it and it, it will execute it, whether you're on Linux, Windows, um, you know, um, x64, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But... When I say bells and whistles, like you can have a contract with it that says, you know, just put this data in your um, built-in Redis for me, please, so I don't have to code that microservice. So it's kind of cool like that. It's not the only one out there either. Um, there's there's a bunch of more core WebAssembly runtimes that don't do all that contract-based stuff, and then there are mm -hmm. others that do that. It's quite an exciting space at the moment, actually, I think, WebAssembly runtimes. Because it's so nascent, again, there's like so much yeah. kind of cool development happening. Um, and, and, and there's always that kind of risk, like, Am I making the bet on the right technology? Because, you know, if you wind it back to the days when it was, um, was, was Rocket going to be a thing against Docker and oh, then yeah. Docker Swarm and Mesosphere DCOS versus Kubernetes and stuff, like what's the right bet? It was kind mm -hmm. of exciting. It's still exciting in the Kubernetes world now, don't get me wrong, but Kubernetes has the majority of mindshare, whereas we're not there yet with WebAssembly. And, and it may pan out differently that we do have a lot more options with WebAssembly going forward, but it's just a very cool space. Okay, Roger. So uh, I think uh, as we are coming to the end, towards the end of our uh, time uh, recording this, right? Uh, I wanted to talk about like the benefits of Wasm. I know in the in the 101 pitch you said the scale to zero aspect, the ability to be portable and really lightweight. Are there any reasons when it comes to uh, like being a polyglot, like having polyglot support, uh, having the ability to run any language you want? Maybe it helps your organization to be more agile. And I mean, like ship code faster to production are, are there any benefits that you would like to add to what you already said um it's difficult because i think a lot of those benefits that we take for granted now in the container community and kubernetes and all that kind of stuff um it is brought to us by third-party tools from the ecosystem you know mm -hmm. i build pipeline tools and um all of this kind of you know deep image scanning for vulnerabilities and stuff like that. These are not necessarily core to Kubernetes. Well, they're not, mm -hmm. um, and they're not even core to containers, but they're built around it. And we very much lack that if you want to go down um, kind of WebAssembly without containers and Kubernetes. Um, I think, like, of course, like I said before, the benefits today 
are for event-driven stuff, serverless workloads and out on the edge. But generally speaking, I'm one of those that's in the camp that as the standards and the technologies evolve, I honestly do think they will start to eat into traditional namespaced containers, OCI Mm -hmm. containers, um, because they're, they're... you know, the binaries are smaller. Um, you don't have as many dependencies to build in. Um, they're, they're much more portable, like we've talked about before. I feel like the security model is a little bit better as well. So you know how a, an OCI container is built of a bunch of um, Linux kernel namespaces and the equivalent on Windows if you go down yeah. the Windows route. Um, but we've had to put a lot of effort into um, securing that model um, sec comp and um, right. yep. capability dropping and all these different things that are actually, you know, even today can be quite complicated to deploy. We've had to yeah. bolt a lot of things on to secure the container model. We, we used to say in the early days, didn't we, that, you know, containers are not secure compared to virtual machines. Well, right. actually, now they can be, but you just got to put a bunch of effort in. Yep. So the, the WebAssembly model is, you know, out of the box, the WebAssembly runtime provides a secure sandbox by default. And when I say sandbox, I mean an environment that exists sort of outside of or away from the Linux kernel. Um, And then the the runtime itself decides what what access to the kernel is allowed. So it's it's abstracted from the kernel from a technical perspective. But I mean, this is quite technical, but and I'm, I'm potentially going around in circles, but if you then go the route of then wrapping that WebAssembly module inside of a minimal OCI container, which my blog post that I alluded to before mm-hmm. talks you through how to do that and you get all of your existing tooling, you're almost mm-hmm. getting double the security there. Um, because even out of the box, you know, most container runtimes implement sensible defaults for capability dropping yep. and set comp profiles and things. So I feel like WebAssembly on its own is potentially a more secure model than containers. But then if you wrap it in a container, you're getting double the security. Um, and this is the kind of thing that needs diagrams and probably cleverer people than me to, to describe, right? Um, but I think the security model of WebAssembly is really good as well. Okay. Um, so just going forward, I think it's going to become more and more, like, like you said before, Ryan, the right tool. Right now, it's not the right tool for a lot of things, but as it evolves, um, it will become the right tool for, for more stuff. So like I'm always telling people, keep an eye on it and, and start yeah. kicking the tires now, but yeah. don't get carried away. I mean, get carried mm-hmm. away if you're crazy and, and you're really super brave. Worry, people if- will. You know, don't run the the business's core applications on something so new at the moment. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I agree, right? It, it is new, but I think looking at uh, the the community, I think Figma is one of the customers that have used it, uh, used the Wasm on the browser thing as part of their overall application as it's browser-based. So I think there are still a few companies that are actually on that bleeding edge and trying to use this. But yeah, agreed. Like this can is I, really new. Can I touch on that, Bavin? Just very quickly, okay. Um, that I think, and we had this with containers as well, like if you are a technology-rich organization, I don't know if that's the right term, but you know, if you have highly skilled technical people on staff and your business is all about technology, then Mm -hmm. then WebAssembly is absolutely a great choice for building platforms and things on. But if you were like most enterprises, and I'm as respectful as I can be when I say this, spent most of my life working for enterprises, right? But they tend to have good engineers. Oh, I'm so careful about this, but not super, super stellar engineers. Like, you know, most most enterprise organizations don't have Linux kernel engineers on staff, you know, just sitting around twiddling their thumbs, wondering what to do. But if you are like a bleeding edge technology company and there are plenty mm-hmm. of great platforms and applications that are built entirely on WebAssembly right now, it's very doable. I just think for 
mere mortals like yep. me and the majority of us, mm -hmm. um, it's still a little bit hairy and scary. Well, I think one way we can maybe ask for how do we make it less hairy and scary is how do people get involved? You know, where would you send them um, to either get started with the technicals to get started kicking the tires? Any of that. Um, we'll we'll do a quick segment here and then make sure okay. we put any links you want to send us yeah. on so, that as well. Yeah. So shameless plug, follow me at Nigel Poulton on most of the uh, social platforms. And um, I'm writing quite a lot about WebAssembly on my blog at the moment at nigelpoulton.com. Um, but I would say Docker Desktop, if you are involved in the cloud native community at the moment, you're listening to Kubernetes Bytes, right? So I'm guessing mm -hmm. you are. Um, Docker Desktop has got fantastic support for it at the moment. And all of this, the rumblings that I'm hearing out of Docker, and I don't have insider knowledge, but the people that I talk to see WebAssembly as being a key technology going forward. So yeah. I, I expect support within Docker Desktop and Docker Hub and things like that only to get better. Um, there's a great article, which I think we'll put in the show notes link at the end, mm -hmm. um, showing you how to spin up WebAssembly nodes on an AKS cluster in, in Microsoft Azure, um, which uses the RunWASI shim and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and it's cool because, excuse me, it uses a bunch of Kubernetes primitives in the background as well, like runtime classes and things like that. So okay. if, you, if you like Kubernetes and, and the funky stuff that goes on behind the scenes in Kubernetes, and you want to peek into the, the kind of under the hood, but not super under the hood, but enough under the hood to sort of think, oh yeah, now I'm seeing how the pieces fit together. And um, there's a good article um, on Microsoft about um, how to get started on AKS with WebAssembly. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, what, once you've done a couple of things like that, mm -hmm. it, it's not hard if you already know containers and Kubernetes just to see right. the next steps and start taking your next steps. Yep. Yeah, there's a whole community of people that um, are learning this and or learn it and or want to learn it. So I feel like it's a good onboarding to mm -hmm. Wasm. I know if I were to tackle Wasm, I'd probably absolutely take the Kubernetes path just because of my background, yeah, right? Yeah, of yeah. Like, mm -hmm. It gets me, um, you know, a lot quicker to familiarizing myself with kind of what it can do and then yeah. maybe I branch off from there. So yeah. absolutely, we'll uh, put all those links in there in the show notes. We also have one small um, a segment we want to add to the show and I'll give you so, a, um, yeah, yeah, we <laughs> We did, we did not tell you yeah. about this, so yeah. you, I'll give you a couple of ways you can you can kind of go about Fair it. Enough. We asked uh, ChatGPT uh, oh. to come up with a fun question to ask our guests about the topic. So this is WebAssembly. And you can either answer it yourself or you can uh, allow us to read ChatGPT's <laughs> answer to the question. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you this. So the question is, if WebAssembly was a roommate, what kind of personality would it have? And uh, what would be the most absurd request it would make of you? Okay, so if it was a roommate, um, I feel like it would be that roommate that's kind of a little bit better than you at everything um, or has the potential to be better than you at everything, um, but um, doesn't actually brag about it. Um, mm -hmm. I do feel like the WebAssembly community have got their feet on the ground in all of this. And they're, they're not getting super ahead of themselves saying we're going to conquer the world or anything like that. Um, but yeah. I genuinely do think as a technology, it's, it's core tenets make it better suited to a lot of workloads than the existing stuff. And what would it be its most absurd request? Is that, was that yeah. the next part? Yeah, that is the second part, yeah. Um, oh, I'm going to let ChatGPT answer that one. <laughs> right, I'm the, so the, impressed the, with the, that first answer. Wow, on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah no, that was great. Uh, so ChatGPT's answer to the second part, I'll put both parts yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. as well to uh, Nigel's answer, is the most absurd request it would make of you is to write a program in WebAssembly to some mundane task such as making up a coffee. Just to demonstrate the capabilities of the language, it would proceed to explain in detail why the program is the most optimal solution for making a cup of coffee. Right, okay. Take it for what it is. Yeah, 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 I like it. <laughs> All right, Nigel. Well, um, you know, I think I've learned a lot. Hopefully our uh, listeners did as well. Again, we'll put all the resources mentioned today in the show notes. And just thank you again for joining Kubernetes Bytes. Yeah, thank you so much for your time, Nigel. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. All right, Bob, and that was a lot of fun having Nigel on here talk all things sort of WebAssembly, Kubernetes, Docker, Mashup. Um, I know it's it's exciting to see sort of Wasm and Kubernetes come together and how you can start using it. But I'd love to hear sort of your takeaways uh, from the conversation. Yeah, again, uh, just to echo your thoughts, right? It, it was a great episode. Like we we went in with a bunch of questions and got answers and got great answers to all of those. Uh, the one thought that I really liked was how Wasm and Kubernetes work together even today. Like this is not two years down the line. It's not vision. Mm -hmm. It is something that you can try it out on your own Kubernetes cluster today. And AKS being the preferred one according to Nigel, but uh, just the that kubelet and container D has a shim that can basically orchestrate your Wasm workloads uh, and it has the runtime support for it. Uh, that was awesome. Like yeah. being a, Kubernetes being able to schedule your containers and your Wasm uh, applications on any Kubernetes worker node with just that shim is an awesome point. And I think I, I do want to echo the, your thought that you raised during the episode that Kubernetes can now orchestrate VMs using the KubeWord project containers and then Wasm with this container shim as well. So the interoperability is something that like I want listeners to take away from this. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see what that future looks like. Yeah. You know, do people use, to Nigel's point, do they use or uh, yeah. orchestration like Kubernetes to do this kind of thing? Or do we see sort of a fragmented ecosystem around these tools, depending mm -hmm. on how they're used? You know, I think that's uh, to be seen. Uh, yeah. And and I think to, to the points I, I kind of took away is that it's still really early days, right? Yeah. Go get your hands on it. I think, you know, to Nigel's point as well, this sort of listener base, probably familiar with Kubernetes mm -hmm. or, you know, new to it and, and, and interested, it's one way to get involved, right, yeah. is to kind of use these, uh, you know, tools together. Um, and, you know, the the application of the cloud side Wasm uh, being more in the edge and serverless space, mm -hmm. you know, are a little more limited to, say, even six months from now, to, yeah. to Nigel's point. It's moving fast. We saw this with... Um, you know, with containers in general, you know, once the adoption hits a certain point, it's shoot, people start using it all different ways. So it's exciting to see. And those are generally my takeaways. Um, and I think, you know, with that, if you had any other things you wanted to add to it, we can. No, I off. think that's it. Like, I think just uh, for people wanting to learn more about Wasm, right? Uh, we'll obviously have links to all the things that we discussed in the pod, but uh, KubeCon Europe is coming up in like two or three months. I know we, uh, Ryan, you brought up the day zero event schedule that's out there. I'm yeah. pretty sure there will be a awesome day. So like, even though it's on YouTube, go ahead and attend it in person. If you are actually planning on traveling there, you can ask a lot of questions and get to meet a lot of people in the community at the in-person event. But yeah, that, that's it for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I didn't ask if Nigel will be there, but yeah. there's a high possibility, I would mm -hmm. guess. Sure. Um, all right. Uh, well, uh, with that, that brings us to the end of today's episode. And I'm Ryan. I'm Bhavan. Thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bytes. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. 